Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? sunshine how are you hi very well how are you good so excited to have you here to share all of your amazing wisdom can you introduce yourself for our listeners of course so i am millie millie poppins uh, on instagram and i am a motherhood journey coach and a birth trauma healer so this just means that i'm working with women usually in that kind of fourth trimester space um, after they've had a baby uh, also in the first year um, just guiding them in their kind of mother journey the adjustment the life transition um yeah that's just everything to me amazing amazing i'm so excited to dive in with you you're so knowledgeable and you're helping so many women around the world to deal with this crazy transition into motherhood. And I feel like there's not that much support around this. And I think that's also why like your business is thriving and you're helping so many people because there's such a high demand for this kind of support for mothers, not just like your baby and what to do with your baby or what to dress your baby and or how to put them in their cot, but like, what is this transition that these women are entering into and how do we support people with that? So, so excited to dive in about this. So motherhood is the biggest transition, I think, of like a woman's life, uh, one of yeah. them anyways. Um, so how do we uh, start to embrace this time with less stress and more empowerment? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think in society that we live in today, it's very different to how it used to be. And the kind of emotional support um, just really isn't there when you have a baby. Like you said, there's so much information about physically caring for your baby um, and what to do and what different things mean and feeding and sleeping guides and things like that. But the emotional side of it, and this is also emotionally caring for your baby but also emotionally caring for yourself um it's just not there people just don't talk about it and i feel like there are a lot of women um new mothers who are kind of in this fourth trimester experience um and just feeling so overwhelmed so lost but then genuinely thinking that this is unique to them that this doesn't happen to other mothers that they're getting it wrong um that they're not coping that this basic thing of like raising a child of being a mother this thing that we're told is instinctual isn't instinctual to them. And I feel like it's just a very um, kind of a vicious cycle for women uh, where they feel like they might be spiraling a little bit because it's feeling so overwhelming. So I think just in that fourth trimester, the biggest 
bit of advice that I give to my clients is all about this like sweet surrender to your baby. And I say sweet because it can just be so beautiful in those first few months to just totally be, um, just lie down in front of your baby. Whatever they need is also what you need too. So this is the constant cuddles, the constant touching, the connection, the skin to skin, the feeding, the bonding, the relaxing. All of this is keeping your stress levels low. It's keeping baby calm. Um, but it's a shame because in today's society, it's, you know, it's about do more, be more, put the baby separate, get everything done, rush around. And this just isn't natural. Um, I often find with women when I just give them the permission to, you know, curl up on the sofa, drink lots of tea, hold their baby all day. They're, they're relieved. They just couldn't give that uh, green light to themselves. But once someone in a professional capacity can say, hey, you get to relax all day, enjoy that Christmas movie, have that block of chocolate, cuddle your baby. It's just the biggest relief for them. Totally. And that's how I see you on Instagram. You're like, this groundbreaking permission slip for these women who, um, you know, are consuming all of this content and seeing all these people on Instagram saying, you have to um, sleep chain your baby this way. You have to do it this way. Um, if you do it this way, you're going to fuck your baby up for the rest of its life. Like, and anytime I see you, and I love watching your stories, even though I'm not a mom and I don't even have a baby, um, I'm just like cheering in the backside of your stories going like, yes, yes, because you're just giving people uh, permission to do it their way, to find their intuitive way of, you know, mothering, of parenting, of getting to know yourself in that process. And they're really like, this is my attitude to life. Like I'm always cautious when experts or gurus are like, this is the exact way you have to do this thing. Cause I think like all of us have a different process. All of us have a different approach to everything in life. And I would say to me, even though I'm not a mom, the way you describe things is like, it's about finding your way of, of embracing this process, not like looking externally for someone to t tell you whether you did a good job or not. Yeah, exactly. And you think about, you know, as a woman, we have so much pressure on ourselves, body image, relationships, you know, um, our self-development journey, all these things. And then you bring a baby into the world. One, you're not going to have much time for that at that point. But being so vulnerable, it is so easy to be looking externally, you know, Google, Amazon, black holes at 2am, like whatever product and thing that you can buy, whatever course package. And it's a shame because the maternity space and baby world is saturated um, with experts and professionals. And we're all selling something, even me, you know, we all have what we offer. Um, but I've always kind of said, you know, we think about the saying about sex cells. I really think that sleep cells and selling the sleep dream. I mean, sleep is everything. So um, even the fear of like not having it, not getting enough, even when you're able to have some as a new mom, you're so switched on, like worrying about your baby that the sleep doesn't come. And I feel like there are a lot of businesses and professionals that are, you know, making sales off of this, off of uh, new parent fear um, and stress and just parents striving for something that isn't actually in the realm of what is normal for a newborn. Um, and it's a slippery slope. I found it too, you know, I never... Uh, started this business thinking that I would help uh, parents with sleeping routine. And I kind of got to the point where it was a bit of a precipice where it was like, wow, I could make so much money selling sleeping routines. I can see how tempting that is, but it's just not genuine because we look at kind of normal newborn behavior and long stretches of sleep, long stretches of independent sleep where your baby is separate from you. Um, it's just not natural. 
and it's just often not achievable. This is this where the cycle of stress and pressure comes in. Um, and I find it really sad. There's just so many um, new mums out there that are just lost. And I mean, a lot of women I've spoken to in hindsight, and often it's like the second baby that kind of like triggers this, but they're like, like that just not was not worth it at all. All that stress was just not worth it. I should have just leaned into my baby, leaned into what felt natural. So that's really what I'm trying to do is just to encourage women um, and parents, you know, um, partners and dads are included in this as well. Um, it's just that kind of sweet surrender to your baby being the most important thing you can do. And it's often the easiest thing you can do. Yeah, totally. I imagine with motherhood that it brings out things that are already there. So if you have an issue around control or perfectionism, yeah. like the most vulnerable journey that you're entering into, motherhood, parenting, I'm sure it's the same for some fathers as well. Um, you know, it's going to bring out what was already there because it's this thing that is so important to you and it's this new and uncertain experience, I suppose, if it's your first child especially. Um, so is that why you think there's so many extreme highs and lows um, in the early weeks and in that fourth trimester, as you call it. I know you just recently did a post on this and you got like huge engagement from people who are so interested in this fourth trimester um, wisdom and guidance. So like, why, why are the highs so high and the lows so low for so many parents? It comes down a lot uh, to hormones, obviously. So if we're looking at it scientifically, um, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, they are all just all over the place. So often we get um, new mums who kind of come home that first week. Yes, you know, I say come home, maybe they've had a home birth, maybe they've been in hospital, but you're, you're setting up your, the start of your journey and the adrenaline is that, and that is a primal natural response for you to kind of bond very quickly with your baby, to be instinctually wanting to stay with them. And this is when women feel incredible. They're like, wow, I could just sleep two hours here, two hours there, maybe not even that. And it's fine. I feel great. This is amazing. And then we start to slip and then the stress starts to come in. All of that needs to start regulating. Your hormones are all over the place. We're trying to balance them out. This is when you might start uh, arguing with your partner or whoever your support person is. Um, this is where, you know, even disputes with like your mother-in-law and things, everything can be so triggering because you feel so emotionally unstable and I think in a way most women are prepared for this you know we have lots of talk around baby blues and postnatal depression um, but the actual reality of living through it is like wow like this is this is huge this is not what I expected um, and the way you even think about little things that you've taken for granted like you said some women have that kind of um I guess like control is like not like the word, but you, you like your routines. You like to have dinner at a certain time, watch a bit of TV, read a book. All of that can easily go out the window when you have a baby. And I think that's what um, a lot of new parents aren't prepared for. It's like adjusting to this new normal, adjusting how everyone works together in the household, how we fit around each other, when we're going to connect, when we're going to do our separate things. Um, it's a total shift in everything you've ever known. Um, and you think like, your home is your safe space. It's where you have your rituals and routines. Um, and this total adjustment can just be, yeah, so I guess like disorientating um, for many people. Yeah, totally. I think there's also like a lot of chat around self-care for new mums. And I think it's like yeah. has the best of intentions, but so many mums, and especially if we think about single mums, 
mm-hmm. who are superheroes basically um, yep. talk about all like I'm just trying to survive right now like let alone like wash my hair yeah. or take care of myself um so when you have women who are in that survival mode like what are the things that they should remember if they can't you know carve out time more obvious self-care what can they be reminding themselves of I think sometimes it's like more about just having that like internal dialogue with yourself rather than actually needing to do extra things when you have so much that you're already managing yeah okay so there's two things that come to mind with this for that i would just instantly say to any woman who is struggling and one is you are the perfect parent for your baby there is no one else that can do it better there's no one else that would be more intuitive to them even if you feel like you're not really getting their cues they're crying a lot you don't know what to do babies cry you're doing the best that you can there's no mom that ever does a half-assed attempt or only gives 90 percent. you're all giving a hundred percent and it's incredible and this leads to number two is just be so kind to yourself what you've gone through like you said before i agree that motherhood is one of life's biggest life transitions um there's so much going on you've brought a new life into this world you just have to be so kind and gentle with yourself um, and hold yourself the way that you hold your baby think about how much uh, affection and love you might be sharing on them and think about doing that for yourself as well it's just so important to kind of embody how you feel for your baby but feel it for yourself as well Mm, absolutely. Now, I know you're also fascinated and really diving into this world of birth trauma, which I yeah. think is something that needs to be discussed way more. Um, so many women are going through traumatic birth experiences and feeling like they don't have an outlet or a place that they can share that trauma, or they feel like they have to just be grateful that their baby's here, especially if they've like, you know, been through a traumatic pregnancy or infertility struggles. There can be this kind of like glossy thing going on where it's like, well, you should just be grateful that your baby's here. And I think that that means that women don't get that space to talk about their trauma and to actually process it. And obviously that's then gonna leak out in different ways in their life or later. Um, So birth trauma, what is it? How do we define that? How does it happen? How do we start to move through it and resolve that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, to begin, birth trauma is a relatively kind of new concept medically um, in the medical world. It was never deemed as something that actually happens. It's just like, yeah, birth is hard and it might um, be really scary and frightening, but there's no long-term effects because of it. Like, what are you talking about? But as more research comes out and it's just becoming very apparent that birth trauma is a real thing. So birth trauma is essentially um, a traumatic situation um, that leaves kind of an imprint on the brain. It follows the same diagnostic pattern as PTSD. um, And it's just kind of in labor, giving birth and the time that shortly follows that. Um, Trauma in itself is you know, an event or situation where the person has experienced, um, they've witnessed or was confronted with an event or events that involved actual um, or threatened death, serious injury, threat to physical integrity um, of yourself, of others, so that could be your baby. Um, this response just involves that intense fear, helplessness, horror, um, it's just pure terror. And this can often happen in birth. Um, I think that a lot of women obviously can experience very scary, very frightening births, a sense of like loss of control, helplessness. Um, They're not being listened to. Um, Their medical team aren't taking them seriously, not taking their pain seriously, not being responsive. Um, This doesn't mean that every woman that goes through 
a birth experience like that, where it's not all like fairy lights and um, meditation bowl music um, is going to end up with a trauma uh, because as the brain processes it, you know, we can reason through the different parts of our brain can be connected and put this into context and reason. And often um, our brains will bring our stress level down enough for that memory to be processed. Um, for some women though, this memory isn't processed as a safe memory. Um, it becomes an imprint on the brain. And this is where we see birth trauma. And because birth trauma is PTSD, um, there are some similarities, some similarities in the way that it's diagnosed. Um, you know, we think about PTSD being um, people, I mean, in historically, it's like men returning from war, um, or if you have been assaulted, we think about terrorism, um, police brutality, all of these events um, can lead to PTSD. Um, but birth trauma, when we're looking at birth, is actually quite different uh, because we think about how if you say you experience a traumatic event, um, it's usually unexpected, right? So it's not something that you were anticipating, like this is going to happen on this date. It's going to be very traumatic and frightening and change my life, change the way that I think and I interact. Think about giving birth. You've been planning for this. You've been so looking forward to meeting your baby. You have a sense of probably nervous excitement and joy. And yet this experience is just flipped on its head. So that's where we can see a difference with birth trauma. Also, um, there's not many traumas where you have a constant reminder of what happened in your day-to-day -day life, yet here is this tiny baby that you have to take home, that you have in your home, your safe space, and that needs you. This baby needs you relentlessly, and that can be just so emotionally overwhelming for someone who has attached that baby to a traumatic experience um, that this is happening as well. And then the third thing for women with birth trauma is God, like some of them have to do it again. You know, this isn't like, yeah, this traumatic experience. And then it's something that you never have to go through again. Um, you can choose not to have another baby, but for people who genuinely wanted big families, it's expected in their culture, um, their partners want another child. This is just a constant reminder that I have to do this again. Um, so yeah, it's really important that if there are any women who feel like they are suffering PTSD symptoms following um, birth and labor, um, that they do seek the help. And I mean, we see in the UK and other um, places around the world that it is becoming more recognized as an actual, um, you know, traumatic disorder um, and that needs proper treatment, proper help, proper psychological help and support. Absolutely, you know, and I think for a lot of people, there's still this shame around things like PTSD and trauma because. Yeah. You know, for me, like me struggling with my PTSD, like mm -hmm. I had like this whole chapter of having to actually just accept that it was real to be like, oh, okay, yeah, me, you know, and to actually be like, yeah, I deserve to have a space to heal that and to talk about that and to recognize that even though I have privileges, even though I have all of these parts of my life that are amazing and that I should be grateful for. And I think like, you know, we then take that and apply that to motherhood like it must be so confusing for a lot of women to be like I feel so much joy that I have this baby and it's everything that I ever wanted but I also have this traumatic experience that I need to process and I don't know how to process it and so um, you know it's amazing that we can talk about this and share this and shine a light on it for anyone who's struggling and to let any mamas who are listening who have been through that know like you can be grateful for your baby and still yeah. 
like dive into that feeling. You can be horrified by what happened and still have so much love for your baby. They don't cancel each other out, you know? And um, like, I would always say, I would always think like, I think babies are an amazing metaphor for the way that we love ourselves and treat ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, if you wouldn't uh, disregard your baby's pain, why would you disregard yours? If you wouldn't shut your baby down, if they're upset about something, don't shut yourself down. Like allow yourself to have support and guidance around whatever you're going through. Um, so thank yeah. you so much for talking about this with me. Yeah, um, of course. I think with that too, you know, I was going to say that it, when you have a baby, you're so you know, you might be feeling like um, something's not right. Um, you're having intrusive thoughts and flashbacks and nightmares, but, oh God, like I cannot tell anyone they will take my baby off me. Um, and that's a huge fear for women. And it's that kind of, you know, do I tip the balance into, is this going to be selfish for me to like seek help and speak up and um, that sort of thing? Are they, and you know, with PTSD, that can be a true fear for women that their baby will, the, the brain has talked themselves into thinking that they will lose their baby if they speak up. Um, so yeah, something. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, we didn't say we were going to talk about this, but as we're talking about it, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you this. I yeah. noticed in this world of motherhood that I've witnessed from the outside that there seems to be some shame or some something going on around mothers who have cesarean births, thinking that their birth experience is like not as valid or they have trauma around that and they feel like it's a different experience or they're outcast in some way because I I have noticed in the world of mothering that there can be like a bit of elitism going on in terms of people thinking like breastfeeding is better than bottle feeding uh, natural birth without painkillers is better than uh, cesarean birth like putting them into these different camps so um, have you worked with mothers who have had cesarean births who have had traumatic experiences or something that has come about um, in the realm of shame or struggle because of that journey through the cesarean birth? Yeah, 100%. And I work with women um, who are doing all different combinations, whether it is natural, um, you know, cesarean, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, all of this. And I feel like the pressure out there that is put on women, like, oh, your cesarean birth wasn't a real birth, your elective C-section, um, or no, you didn't really give birth naturally because you had an epidural, it's not the same thing. I feel like women do this, and I'm sure women do it, um, you know, throughout all stages of our life, um, but we put a judgment on someone else in their situation to make ourselves feel better about our situation. Um, it's just like classic saying, oh, okay, well, cesarean isn't real birth. So that means my labor um, meant more and is more incredible and empowering um, because I didn't opt to do that. I'm a stronger, um, better mother for it. And it's not like that at all. I mean, we look at C-section, it is still major abdominal surgery, it's huge risk. It is an incredible recovery. There's no other abdominal surgery where you're expected to get up the next day, not get any sleep, not take any painkillers, you know, if you're breastfeeding. Um, and when, whenever else in your life are you expected to kind of soldier on like that? I just think it's amazing women who have um, cesareans, whether they're elective um, or emergency, it just doesn't matter. It's just incredible. And then as well, women who give birth, I don't like saying naturally because I feel like birth in any form is just the most natural, beautiful, life-changing experience. And yeah, I just, um, yeah, I really feel for women who might think that they're 
experiences diminish because of the way that their baby arrived in this world. Because I can tell you now, all of that, what happens until your baby is in your arms is just the lead up to the starting line. You're all starting at the exact same point from that moment, that first hour when you're holding your baby, that is the start. That is where we are going from. Everything that happened before, it just doesn't matter. Totally. I mean, it's really interesting for me because I do this method of breath work called rebirthing. And in that Mm -hmm. process, you are looking at the human being in front of you from even pre-birth, the moment they're conceived, whether they're wanted, whether they're the gender that their parents wanted, whether they were planned or not. And then you look at the birth as well. And it's interesting because even if you're born, quote unquote, naturally, so you're coming out the vaginal canal, Uh, without any painkillers or with painkillers, with epidural or your C-section, there are different patterns that come from all of those births. So like in rebirthing, we look at like the different emotional patterns that happen depending on how you're born and how you're raised. And it's funny because like cesarean, there's patterns, you're born naturally, there's patterns, like no matter what, there's an imprint on, on the person, on the child, it's not avoidable. And those patterns actually give rise to different life experiences and different personalities and things like that and so it's like you know one of my friends she had a elective uh, cesarean for both her children mm-hmm. um and I was intrigued by this because she's quite natural in most ways she's like super holistic like so natural and then she opted for the c-sections and I remember being so curious about that because I had this like judgment in my own mind of like well, you do everything else naturally, aren't you going to give birth naturally? Like that was me being like in my own preconception, my own story and judgment. And she was explaining that the reason she did that is because she has so, so much fear and anxiety around birth and the pain and wanting her babies to be okay, that she's like, actually the safest thing for me to do is to book my surgery, to have it to feel like I'm in control of it. And then I know that my babies are coming safely into the world. And for her, that was the more empowering thing to do. That was the safer thing and the healthiest thing for her to do because of her own fears and anxieties. And so I was like, wow, I'm seeing this through such a different perspective right now, but it makes so much sense that you did that and you knew what was right for you to do for your own body and your own baby. Yeah, I find that really fascinating. And I think that a woman who is really like in her power and aware of what can be triggering for her has a fear of, it could be anything, it couldn't just even just be the birth or that you're going to give birth um, vaginally. It could be a, um, like a fear of losing control. You could have a fear of blood. You could have a fear of like um, medical intervention. Um, You know, these are all things. And if you're going into your birth and labor experience, just a hundred percent completely fearful and terrified um your baby is going to feel it you're going to feel it the whole time i mean labor and birth is a marathon if you are um i mean yes elective c-section there's a lot that goes into it and the prepping and the planning and having your date but if you're um you know waiting to uh go into labor this is the start of like it could be you know we have women who are in labor and they're awake for three four days um it's a total marathon and you need to be ready for that mentally and physically and this isn't trying to encourage women like to go and book their elective c-section but we can kind of look at how um women may choose to do that and we look at also how um some women are predisposed to um trauma um so predisposed to um birth trauma or ptsd and this can be um something that has been you know a story in their earlier life before they were pregnant um so cumulative trauma and 
can leave you predisposed to birth trauma as well. So I think it's very smart for women, not saying that this is the situation with your friend, but I feel like it can be a very um, selfless choice to just go, okay, this is what I'm going to do for me and my baby because of my past life experiences, whether that is like reoccurring miscarriages that have left a trauma for you, domestic violence, um, child abuse from when you were younger, um, these all leave you predisposed to um, birth trauma as well. Um, also, they say um, there's not much research around this, but people who have like a um, creative mind or a powerful imagination um, can really like have that run away with them in a stressful situation where you are feeling helpless. And it's like, bing, 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 like all of the possibilities of everything terrible that could happen is just hitting your psyche and your body um, at the same time. So it's interesting, yeah. Amazing, amazing. As with everything, it's each to their own. It's like you got to <laughs> do what's best yeah. for you. And I guess this carries on into what you advocate for in the world of motherhood is like um, doing what's best for your baby using your intuition and not necessarily like falling into this black hole of uh narratives around what your newborn should be doing at certain ages what you should be doing like that that word should and i think you said this the other day yeah like anytime you're saying the word should like hold the fuck up because yeah. you're in a story right now so mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you help your clients with around like unsubscribing from those disempowering narratives around like the should your baby should do this you should do this like what are some of the things that you want to debunk the myths that you want to the myths it's so bizarre but i say like normalizing normal newborn behavior and I don't know, in this society today, we kind of think, yeah, baby's going to feed a lot. Everyone says that. Yeah, they're going to be um, awake a lot or like not sleep much. A, a newborn baby actually does sleep a lot um, and they do feed a lot. And it's kind of between the two, but it's going to be on you. So people think, oh, everyone says the newborn baby sleeps a lot. That's great. I've got the cute Moses basket. I've got like the sleep positioner and all the lovely matching sheets and everything. This is what we're sold. This is what's on Instagram. This is what um, a lot of mummy influencers, this is the highlight reel that they're giving you. Um, you know, it's just so just setting women up at such a vulnerable time in their life to expect that. And yeah, you might get the five minute picture of your baby cute in their basket and get that snap for the family. Um, but it's just not the reality. They are really going to be wanting to be on you. And I don't want to kind of put that pressure on parents that, Oh, if you don't do that, your child's going to, um, you know, grow up to have like emotional issues or be an alcoholic, whatever, because you didn't hold them enough. That's not the case, but your baby will communicate with you. They will want to be held, to be touched, to be fed um, as much as they need. And this is all, it's so hard to tell new parents that this is all temporary, but it totally is. So the more that you can kind of relax into it and surrender to your baby, the easier it's going to be for everyone. There's this incredible fear um, with a lot of parents that they're setting themselves up for like bad habits that if they don't kind of nail the routine and at least have babies separate for them for some sleep um, that they're going to make things harder in the future that they're going to have to do this like awful crying sleep training and you know they're just thinking let's put in all the hard work now and be really strict and firm so that we don't have to do it later and I say to clients, you're going to have to do it anyway. So by, by doing this, it's like you're doing it twice. And it's like stressing about future stress is so um, unproductive. So really lean into your parenting journey, really lean into especially that fourth trimester, be really responsive to your baby. 
And yeah, like I said earlier, I feel like giving women the green light to do that is just like the best gift ever. They just, you know, want to be there, want to be cuddling their baby. Yes, you might have older children. Yes, you've got to do the school run. And of course, we need to sleep a little bit. But when you can, if your baby wants to be held, I just wish that women wouldn't be stressing so much about it because really it's just, it's just so important. Um, this like normalizing normal newborn behavior um, is a huge one for me. And it's something that I talk about a lot. I'm moving away on social media from talking about sleeping routines because I feel like I don't want to fuel the fire with that being a focus. Um, I just, it's not, it's not everything. Um, you could have two families, one that's like, you know, totally, off the grid um, they're doing all of the kind of like mother earth type things with their baby and they're holding and wearing them in a sling and like they're naked all the time um, and you could have a family who are um, always trying to have the baby separate they've got all the gear they've got like the rocker the shusha all these like products that we can buy and spend money on to try and get their baby to sleep alone and separate and do long stretches of sleep and still at four months, five months, six months, when your newborn becomes a baby, we all end up in the same situation. They're all waking around the same amount of times in the night. They're still wanting you just as much. So you've kind of set yourself up for a high, harder journey and not enjoying that time um, as much as you could um, just to end up at the same place as if you had relaxed. Um, so I find that really interesting. It's something that I'm trying to find like a way to explain it because of course you can just say to a new parent oh you need to relax more you need to lean into it and it's like well how do I actually do that how do I actually let go um, and that comes back to just surrendering and being kind to yourself and I would just remember those two things in every moment that is stressful um, babies do cry um, no matter what you do no matter how much you hold them there will be moments that your baby will just scream and you won't know why and that is a totally normal thing. So think about how you can surrender, think about how you can be kind to yourself. And those are just the two things that I would like any parent just to remember um, in the times that are really hard. Amazing advice, amazing and gentle as well. And I think like, it sounds to me what you help people with is to like find their own inner compass around these things, which I think is the most empowering thing because you're gonna be a parent for life. You're not always going to need to or want to look to this outside source of information and what to do and you know those course creators or those people are not necessarily going to be there with you in the middle of the night when you're holding that baby or you're yeah. parenting that child when they're 10 years old or however long so it sounds like it's all about helping people to find their own way of doing things and feeling good in their own way of doing things and then seeking guidance and support in some ways but as like a like a, I don't know, like, um, you know, giving them an option, giving them a menu of things that they can call on, mm -hmm. but ultimately like being sovereign in the way that you want to parent, the way you want to raise your child and who you want to be as a mom, like how you want to be as a mom, rather than like who you think you're expected to be as a mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, some people listening might think, but I need to sleep and I need to do this and I need to do that. And like, how can I just hold my baby all the time? And I'm not saying do that. I mean, you can kind of think that, say your baby's crying. Okay. Are they hungry? Are they cold? Do they need their nappy change? You can do all of those things for your baby and they still just want to be on you. And then you go, wow, they actually really need me. And that's really beautiful. How can I manage my energy now? Because now I have to hold my baby. So this is when you ask your partner, look, um, when you wake up, I need you to take the baby for a two hour walk. Please bring back pastries and coffee. Like this is what I need. And that's where the communication comes in. It's like, 
my baby needs me right now. I've done everything else. So how am I going to manage my energy later so that I can kind of still get on with what I need to do for me? Um, there's kind of, yeah, this setting yourself up and leaning into it, um, but also surrounding yourself with people. I guess that's different in our society today is that, you know, your parents don't live down the road. You're not, we're not living in big houses with big families where everyone's kind of helping each other with their babies. Um, so creating a support system and, just being honest with the people around you and also being honest with the people around you that you don't want around you. Um, that's another thing I get about um, parents having in-laws and aunties and uncles that are so um, quick to give an opinion or a solution that is just totally unhelpful. Um, so I think changing the way that we communicate as well, um, not always wanting solutions, but wanting support. It's very easy for people when they see someone else, especially someone that they love who is suffering and exhausted and they just want to, oh, well, I'll take the baby, you just go for a walk. And it's like, well, no, I just want you to acknowledge how I'm feeling, say that you're sorry, say that you're here for me. And that is just often more than, you know, usually for a new mum, for the mother-in-law to say, oh, well, we'll have the baby at our house for a bit. That's not comforting for a new mum. They want their baby with them. Even for a new mum to go and like have a nap upstairs, they're going to be like sleeping with one eye open, like listening for their baby's cry. Um, there's just other things that you can kind of ask for support wise. Um, if you have anyone around you that's kind of giving you um, negative vibes, shitty advice, shitty direction, saying, well, this is how I did it and things like that, then you definitely this is a time to be completely selfless, like more so than any other time in your life for any woman. It's just to, I know that they're your family um, and there's like a polite way to do it, but please just cut it because it's just, um, it's building up internally and it's just, it's going to come out eventually. So yeah, that's a, another huge one about surrounding yourself with things that are relaxing. <laughs> that includes people. Yeah, I imagine for many women, maybe it's a great opportunity to really like own their voice in those moments. It's like, yeah, definitely. You know, if, if, if you've struggled before, maybe to like speak your boundaries really explicitly or to be really fierce in what you want and what you don't want. Like, it's almost like that mama lioness probably comes out of some women. And um, it sounds to me like you're telling them to embrace that, you know, to use that as yeah. an opportunity to like be really clear about what do you need? What do you desire? What are you not here for? What's not a vibe? And to let people know. Um, and I liked what you were saying also about not taking on like shitty advice. Cause I think whether it's motherhood or even like I hear it this yeah. time, like dating advice from friends, it's like <laughs> just because people love you and they want the best of you does not mean that they are going to give you the best advice. Cause like everyone's coming from their own lens, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like when someone is in a situation where they're confronted with someone struggling, they're even in a moment of panic, whether it's like giving like post breakup advice or baby advice or baby advice. Um, I don't think people are even really thinking about what they're saying and the impact that that's going to have on that mom. The one that I hear all the time is like, you're spoiling your baby, leave them to cry a little bit. So women are in such like you know, in that fourth trimester and later, they're just so um, caught up with what's happening that they are desperate and they will try anything. So think, oh God, maybe there is something to this, like leaving the baby to cry and putting them in a separate room um, because grandma's told them to or um, the lady down the road or something like that. Um, the thing, I guess, I want to, wanted to touch on this anyway about um, 
you know, normal newborn behavior and things that we're told to do and whether they're actually um, kind of constructive to like long-term attachment and bonding is that when you leave your baby to cry, and I'm going to, before I launch into this a little bit, I want to say that babies do cry. We went over that before. Babies will cry at some point in the day, most days, um, always. I mean, even like one and two-year-olds cry every day over something. It's just like a natural emotional release for them. Um, so when we are intentionally leaving our babies to cry for long periods to so say you decide, okay, look, I cannot settle this baby. Um, I'm going to put them in a different room and just see how long they cry for. People often think that um, this is teaching the baby to um, fall asleep independently, but actually this is teaching your baby that no one is coming for them. And when we look at it primarily, um, say that, um, you know, Two uh, cavemen, cavewomen have had a baby. They leave the baby in the cave. Mom's gone to build a house. Dad's gone to collect some coconuts. And baby's left there alone. Baby starts to cry. They're hungry. They're cold. They just want to cuddle. Um, and they cry and cry and cry. And you might think that they stop crying um, because they've settled and they're fine and they've gone to sleep. You're in that situation. The baby's actually conserving energy. They want to, it's primarily, they're not wanting to draw attention to themselves from like a predator, a lion going past. So they need to stay quiet. They need to stay small. But if we look at um, the cortisol level and the stress level of your baby, even though they've gone into like energy saving mode and fallen asleep, um, they're still like experiencing a high cortisol stress response. Um, so this is an extreme situation, but just, I think that's really a nice one to tell people when they say, you're just going to leave the baby to cry. And yes, when a baby's falling asleep, they can be like a little grunting, groaning, whinging, crying, but that full on high pitched screaming, screaming cry. Um, I mean, even physiologically, um, you know, human as humans, we are, um, all kind of designed to find that so distressing because it's so distressing for the baby that we are. Um, push to give that response and to give that comfort so to deny your baby that you're also denying it to yourself it's traumatizing for everyone um, so that's something that yeah we have to think about how things were and how we parent in you know um, the modern world and just think that biologically you know humans haven't changed um, so how can we support our babies to um, feel as supported and do this as naturally as we can yeah, for sure. When I was first learning about attachment theory in relationships, it was really intriguing because I was reading about it and it's saying that like the psychological theories up until I think it was like the 1950s were saying that like you shouldn't give your child or your baby too much affection because then they would be needy and they would be codependent and they wouldn't be ready for the real world. So there was parents who were leaving their babies to cry out from very, very like young age and they weren't giving their children affection they weren't saying i love you to their kids they weren't giving them too much validation and compliments because they were quote unquote preparing them to become strong resilient adults in the real world but then the theory changed and it was like actually no you create more secure independent yeah. human beings the more love and attachment that you give them when they're young so what are your thoughts on the different like kinds of sleep training that there is out there at the moment I was in a sleep training Facebook group I'm just going to share this yeah I I'm not a mom right but I know that I want to have a mom I want to be a mom I want to have a baby um I want to be empowered with different kinds of information and then also trust myself so I thought I'll join this sleep training group on Facebook a few years before I have a baby and then I'll just see people talking and I'll just kind of slowly absorb the information rather than being overwhelmed when I'm pregnant and I was in this group for a, 
a, a few weeks and then I had to leave because I was getting so distressed by how much like should and shouldn't was going on in there. People who were so stressed, these poor mums who were like, I'm doing all the things that the guide says and it's not working. And my newborn is vomiting because they're so upset and all of these yeah. really distressing things. And I was thinking, wow, this is like a whole world of like information that I'm suddenly exposed to around the things that you do to sleep train a baby at what age and uh, different people with such conflicting opinions. So obviously you have a specialty in baby care and the motherhood journey. So um, is there like a certain sleep training method that you think is amazing? Is it different for every single person? What's going on? I think so when we talk about sleep training, usually, um, you know, that is associated with some form of crying um, and leaving your baby to cry and usually using a timer and things like that. I still do, I like to call it like sleep shaping, um, but we prefer it to be where you can be responsive to your baby and you can jump in and um, go to your baby uh, sooner than the guide says or sooner than you plan to. And this is different at kind of every age. So usually the biggest kind of sleep concern I see in up to kind of six months is that baby um, is reliant on falling asleep a certain way. So I know there's like a lot of um, advocates and kind of um, intuitive mother influencers who are saying, your baby falling asleep on the boob or with the dummy or the bottle that's what they need that's what um they want like why would you take that away from them you're such a bad mom blah 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 um but for me i'm like well yes that's an association a baby loves it but there are ways that you can slowly change that association very gradually baby's not going to notice but we're going to start replacing it with something else and this is what i really work with my clients to do so this involves no crying for baby no crying for mum. but we're slowly moving away um, from how baby's falling asleep if we look at it with sleep cycles, we all know that as adults, we move through sleep cycles and things during the night. For a baby who falls asleep a certain way, often it is quite mailbox often it's quite normal for them to want to link their sleep cycles that way through the night so if that's something that needs um, adult intervention whether it's like popping baby on the boob or dad has to pop the dummy in um, or they need to be rocked this can happen throughout the night throughout the night over and over and that's disrupting adult sleep so one give yourself permission to think this is interrupting my sleep too much like we're four months in you know, it's been real. It's time to like start getting at least like a decent stretch of sleep. Then we can start moving to change whatever association is happening. As baby gets older, so your baby is kind of more aware. Um, there's definitely a shift around seven months where they um, start to experience separation anxiety. They don't want to be away from their primary carers. It might be quite um, scary for them to be in their room alone. Then there's definitely other sleep strategies other than putting the timer on and going, okay, they have to scream for 10 minutes before we go in. It's that same stress response where your baby is literally going to exhaust themselves into sleep. Like they're just going to be shattered and fall asleep. There's no chance of them slipping into a deep sleep that way. Um, deep sleep is so important for memory and development. Um, so if your baby screams himself to sleep um, and falls asleep, they're just not going to get that kind of nourishing um, sleep cycles um, happening. Um, so there's other ways. I mean, there's so much, there's so many people out there. There's so many like gentle sleep consultants, but essentially you would be super responsive to your baby. So once they start to escalate and really cry, you would go in, you would reassure them, mommy, daddy's here, mommy, daddy love you, it's time to go to sleep, wait until they calm down again, put them down and move away. And we just keep repeating that. Um, it's just, a, I, I customize this for each of my clients because everyone 
goal and everyone's kind of starting point is different. So we kind of look at A and we look at B and I try to chunk in as many small transitions as possible so that instead of this happening, you know, some sleep consultants will say in three days, your baby will be sleeping through the night. I will often say in three weeks, your baby might be sleeping better. Um, but we're just trying to think how we can gradually, um, I guess it's like a little bit sneaky, but baby doesn't realize, but how we can slowly move away from what's happening to get to where we want to be. And often parents just want a small shift. Amazing. And just for clarity, so everyone listening knows you've had a lot of experience with this hands-on because you've, oh, yeah. you've, you've night nursed a lot in the past, haven't yeah. you? And you've literally done this with babies all around the world. Yeah, I guess that's another thing because I've had on um, Instagram recently, like, you're not a mom and how can you give this advice? And I think like there's definitely um, an argument for that. But also I've been in positions where I have been the primary sole carer of babies and this was never planned. Um, I've been in jobs where, you know, I say I'm the maternity nurse. It's not like a night nursing job, but you have 24-7 care of a baby. There are no breaks. There's no one to help you. Um, this is often in a situation, you know, people think it's because um, these families are just like super loaded, wealthy VIPs um, and they're not around. But um, genuinely, in my experience, it's been um, if the mother is terminally ill, um, if it was a, I had one, one mum who um, had to have a liver transplant and they did it at the same time as her C-section um, when the baby was 24 weeks. So I was the one who was in the NICU with the baby every day. I was the one who brought him home after eight weeks. And then mum, I mean, I didn't know back then it was earlier on in my career, but I mean, the birth trauma must've been significant and her PTSD around being so scared of dying. Um, and maybe losing her baby that she wanted zero to do with this baby. I, <laughs> I actually had to get permission off of her. Um, after a few months, I was like, this is so hard. I'm trying to like follow the book. Do you mind if I co-sleep? And she was like, go for it. So here I am co-sleeping with this child that's not mine, who's so tiny and premature. Um, so I've been there. I've been there in the thick of it. The total, I I've had jobs <laughs> where I've literally thought to myself, I would rather scratch my eyes out. I remember having this thought and I, I will always remember this. It's probably the most stressed I've ever been in my life. This time I was with premature twins. And I said, I would rather scratch my eyes out than do another two nights with these babies. So for me to be able to relate that and just know how women feel. And obviously I haven't gone through the physical exertion of birth and labor and the anticipation um, that you have in pregnancy and the nerves and the overwhelm, but that actual like really tough moments with a newborn, I've been there. Even now I can feel like my heart rate rising, just remembering <laughs> like how stressful that can be with a sleeping baby. And it's again and again and again, and it's just never ending. Um, it's really, really hard. I mean, hard doesn't even like it's out of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked what you responded to that person on Instagram. Actually, you said, you know, you, you don't tell your child's teacher that they can't teach your child yeah. because they don't have a kid. It's like, no, you're <laughs> equipped to do your job. And, um, you know, if anything, you have like this extra expertise and then you've got the hands-on experience. So I think it's amazing, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. Creating I think, I think the people out there who are mums and giving advice, that can be really great and a really great support. But when you are giving very singular, specific situational advice from what you have gone through with your baby, I think that can be really dangerous um, for other women. And I know that they're just people out there who are just trying to help. They know it's hard. They're trying to offer support, but I'm trying to do it from a place where I've been with hundreds of families and so many babies. Um, so I can kind of, without being a mum myself, I can still give advice that's kind of more, holistic and covering all different situations rather than just my own. 
I think that's a little bit of a sweet spot with what I'm doing because a lot of the other maternity professionals out there are moms themselves and offering their advice from their own experience. Yeah, yeah. There are many ways to be a mother in this world, mm-hmm. I would believe. I Agreed. see myself as a mother already. I yeah, I see you as a mother. <laughs> Amazing women that I work with <laughs> and getting to hold that space. So I think there's, there's different manifestations of that role mm-hmm. for sure. So is there anything that we haven't covered that you really wanted to illuminate in this conversation for our listeners? I guess circling back to the birth trauma, I just would hate for any women listening to this to think, oh God, my birth was so horrific and there was so much blood and my doctor didn't listen to me. I must have birth trauma. Um, That's not necessarily the case because we talk about um, in a traumatic experience, in, in a traumatic birth experience, 80% of women will be able to have their brain um, realize that they're in a traumatic experience and kind of push that stress level and cortisol back down automatically. Then there's the 20% um, that aren't able to kind of um, have their kind of parts of their brain communicating and putting things into context and having that rationalization. And that's where we'll end up with the trauma imprint. So I just don't want women to think that something like this has happened, but then of course you have to be part of, you have to have a really traumatic experience and you also have to be part of the 20%. And then you haven't also, even with that small 20% um, following birth, um, you can start to regulate and rationalize um, that experience without medical help. So yeah, just always worth talking to someone if you think that it's something that's happened for you or has happened, whether it's five weeks ago, five years ago. Um, I've heard of women processing their birth trauma um, 30, 40 years on, which is incredible. Um, So yeah, I think that's just something I don't want it to like anyone to kind of start worrying about it. Yeah. Well, it's subjective, right? Like two people Mm -hmm. can have a car accident and one person's like, exactly. get a new car. And the other person needs to go to therapy because it's, yeah. Um, too traumatic for them to process in that moment and they're having that consequential effect on their body and their nervous system. Um, Yeah. So thank you for saying that as well. Now, I love to leave people with like next steps and you have like, honestly, Millie has so many amazing things that she offers. Like even just your Instagram stories are amazing, but I think like some of your paid offerings are even more incredible. So what are the different offerings that people who are listening to this episode would resonate with. And also you're launching something new next year. And I don't mm-hmm. think you told anyone, but maybe you could tell yeah, us. I Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like you said, it's funny this year with Instagram, I get told all the time that I give away too much for free, but I feel like oh, this like pool for like women who are struggling, especially like what a year with like pandemic and giving birth alone and without the support. So there's so much free advice and resources on my highlights and Instagram. I'm constantly on my stories and I'm happy to give this um, as well. I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I kind of have like 30 minute, I call them express encouragement calls. And honestly, it's usually just me just giving that reassurance. And I feel like most of this is just me saying, tweak this, tweak that, but like go ahead and hold your baby. And that's all that women need to kind of like move on with that. Um, but I also do um, intensive one-on-one coaching. Um, I call it holistic immersion. And I really get in with like, what's happening for you as a woman, what's happening for your baby, how we can kind of bring those together and create like a um, family vibe, a home vibe that's just really nourishing for everyone. 
And the thing next year is going to be um, my fourth trimester course, um, which I'm really excited to do because I am just like obsessed with the fourth trimester. I mean, I love babies at all ages, um, but those first 12 weeks that we call the fourth trimester, I feel like that's just so potent for shaping um, not only kind of your baby, um, but also like yourself as a woman and kind of embracing this new version of yourself. And it's just, I find it really beautiful. So um, yeah, more information coming about that in the next week. Um, I'm really excited, but that's going to kick off um, for any women who are going to be in their fourth trimester um, in early 2021. Amazing. And the thing that I just want to kind of say here, because I noticed this in my own audience and clients, a lot of mums are afraid to invest any money in themselves in this process. And what I would say is that if your baby needed new clothes, if your baby needed an operation, yeah. if your baby needed anything, you would spin plates and drop everything to make it happen. And so I would encourage anyone listening who is struggling, who needs that support, but is afraid to invest in that support this is really important. This is you becoming a mom. This is you. This is your humanity. This is your parenting. This is for your child as well. So um, I just wanted to leave that there because I know that some women can fall into this pattern when they become mums of being like the martyr, thinking they need to do everything on their own and not thinking that they're worthy of support. But it really is like, I think it's such an important rite of passage becoming a mom and Every mum deserves, if, if she can, to have some kind of resource or some kind of support around this very, you know, sacred journey that they're on. Yeah, exactly. It's like, do it for yourself. But then also, if that doesn't like, if there's some sort of block there about spending money on yourself and investing in yourself, then this is definitely still doing it for your baby. Because the more assured and confident and in your journey and in your experience that you are, the more you're going to be able to be there for other people, which of course, when that <laughs> comes to it, your family's first, your baby's going to be first. So um, if not for you, then for them. Yeah, totally. Totally. We all need support, even you and me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. It took me a long time to kind of think about um, chunks of money um, for kind of having people supporting me around it. And now I'm just like, who else can I get? Like do like it just <laughs> just want more and more people it's just it's so rewarding isn't it it's just really it's just next level reassurance yeah absolutely absolutely amazing well thank you so much babe for coming on today and sharing my pleasure to talk to you for hours but um for anyone who wants to continue the journey i really recommend going and finding millie on instagram what is it millie.poppins mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? yeah at the moment yeah I'm feeling like the Poppins is going to be something that changes soon. I'm still kind of in like the, where am I going to sit with this? But yeah, you can find yeah. me there. Is it, is it like a Mary Poppins? That's why. Yeah. I feel like I was like more like baby orientated and now like the Poppins just kind of irritates me a little bit, but I'm like, I'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you guys can find Millie on Instagram and we'll leave all her details in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, love. No, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you, and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. 
If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful. And it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage, and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.